and welcome back to the rewind i'm josh and this is a podcast where i watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends today's episode is about both the whale and she said joining me today i think he'd split his three musketeers with me it's joey madison uh i i would and uh i'll go on video just for a quick second to hold up the three musketeers oh wow look at that <laughs> Wildly. I'm wild still getting over um, the flu so I look like hot garbage so I'm going back on on quiet uh on, perfectly uh, fine yeah yeah but no I'm I'm always I'm always happy to I'm diabetic I shouldn't be having candy anyway you can have it that's fine well I I really don't need it either because I actually honestly feel like I'm almost obese right now because I've just I've been in Philadelphia with my grandpa just like picking out I just had a bunch of pizza tonight and probably eating a a cheesesteak tomorrow afternoon and then going to a place in the Italian market on Thursday. It's just, uh, so I, 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 I feel in the right state of mind almost to be talking well, about you're, this one. You're in, uh, you're in Phil back in, in Philadelphia, right? Right. right. I, 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 and then when I come to Philadelphia to visit my grandpa, I'm just like, I mean, I'm never here for really more than a week to 10 days. So it's like, I'm squeezing in all of the unhealthy food I would like to eat over the course of like a long time. And just I like, can, you know, a matter of days. I can squeeze an unhealthy amount of scrapple into me. So I get it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. But uh, the reason, the, the reason I'm talking about just three musketeers and eating a lot is because uh, we're starting today by talking about Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. Uh, it's uh, based on a play by uh, Samuel Hunter from 2012. The screenplay is adapted by Hunter himself. Uh, it stars uh, Brendan Fraser as Charlie, who is an, an obese and kind of reclusive uh, English uh, creative writing professor of sorts who teaches online classes and lives in his apartment by himself and you know seems to be uh, just eating himself to death and he, he weighs 600 pounds he doesn't turn his camera on when he teaches his class he's doing this and I think this movie is set in the movie is set in 2016 so he's doing this pre-zoom but just teaching online classes and not even putting himself on camera because he's you know just you know does not want his students to judge him and obviously does not uh, feel especially great about the way he looks he doesn't really seem to have anyone in his life besides his friend Liz played by Hung Chow she you know we come to learn she is the sister of his uh, his former boyfriend who for whom he left his family and uh, is visited by his daughter Ellie played by Sadie Sink that understandably given that he left when she was eight doesn't have the most kind feelings about him and has other people coming in and out, in and out of his house including his ex-wife played by Samantha Morton who is actually in both of the movies we're talking about today yeah. And, uh, and and also a religious missionary of sorts played by Ty Simpkins, who belongs to the local church that uh, Liz and uh, and Char Charlie's uh, Charlie's ex Allen were also a part of because their dad kind of uh, ran the place. So uh, just a lot going on coming in and out of his house as he is living this incredibly sedentary lifestyle, just eating himself to death basically and because you kind of learn he has congestive heart failure and a bad bad uh high, high blood pressure and doesn't really want to get any help claiming he can't afford health insurance we come to learn that is not the case um joey this movie is incredibly divisive uh i i saw it and i just saw just like a, a, an incredible w wide range of reactions and people having some strong negative reactions to you know just the way that uh aronofsky shot the movie there's been you know, ac accusations of like, you know, fat phobia, fat shaming with the way Charlie is shot, the fact that the fact that Brendan Fraser is wearing a fat suit. And, you know, as someone that isn't isn't necessarily uh, someone that, you know, uh, has that same body type. I don't know if I'm like the best to really judge what the movie is saying in that regard, but I'm, I'm kind of curious because I know I know the movie really worked for you. And but before I even necessarily get dive into any of those issues that it's causing it to be so divisive, I'm wondering, because I mean, it sounds like it's, it's kind of a foregone conclusion at this point that uh, Brendan Fraser is going to be nominated for best actor for this movie. And it's a great comeback story for him. I'm wondering, because the one thing I've seen as I've read all this reaction to it in the week since I saw the movie is like, no matter what anyone says about the movie, it seems like everyone feels pretty good about him. And they really think very highly of what he, the work he put in in this movie and this, this performance under all these prosthetics and uh, with all this other stuff going on around it. He, he just really is the heart of this movie. I'm wondering, was it Brendan Fraser that kind of like made the movie work for you more than anything, or, did you, or was there other things in it that you connected to? Uh, I mean, he's obviously the the central figure, but I'm a I'm a pretty big Aronofsky fan. So I'm I'm. If I recall, don't you have like a sometimes have a a, a fountain poster that's behind you? Yeah, yeah, the fountains are yeah. one of my five favorite films of all time. Um, I I don't think he's made a bad movie. Um, so I think I think kind of all the things he's kind of on your wavelength in general. Yeah. So, but he um he makes a very specific type of movie. So, um, kind of have to intertwine with some of the things you said about like why people don't like the film. And I think people don't necessarily remember who made the film in a way because, you know, if you watch Requiem for a Dream. It's a hard watch, but 
you wouldn't necessarily say that he hates drug users. Like it's a very empathetic movie, but it takes it very much to the extreme of of what the end result can be of that. And I think here it's a very similar type of situation. I I I remember when I saw it at, at TIFF, I said it's a demand for empathy. He's not hoping you feel empathy for for Charlie and, and Brendan Fraser's character. He's demanding it by showing you the depths of despair that this person can be in. And I think because um drug use kind of plays differently to people than than obesity. You know, there's so I think if you, you know, if you struggle with heavy drug addiction, you're probably not watching the movie. You're probably not putting forward a uh, a thought process on the movie. It's just there's other things going on. But there are a lot of people who watch the movie who, you know, feel reflected in a way that I don't think the movie's trying to do. But if you have a body type that has caused derision in your in your past, you're obviously going to be sensitive to that. And a movie that's going to not really pull punches on how people treat someone like that, it can ring very strangely, I think. And I think it can it can set you off rightly or wrongly. And I think it just it can put the movie behind the eight ball in a way that it's not necessarily avoiding that discussion. But it's I don't think it necessarily is trying to have a a um, it's not trying to trigger you in that way. It's trying to have a discussion about how we see people. And I think the fact that people see it as mean spirited, I think kind of misses the point, but it's just, it's Aronofsky style that I think that kind of comes in the territory maybe. Yeah. You name dropped Requiem for a Dream. I think I couldn't help but think about the wrestler as I watched it. Sure. And and it's like, I mean, that's the one about a guy that like did a lot of damage to his body and is trying to reconnect with his daughter. It's, it, it seems like it's asking some similar questions to that. And then it's like, you know, like, is there a point at which it's like, you know, you don't owe it's 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 asking too much of someone to ask for forgiveness or something like that like it's when you clearly put someone through a lot and it's it's i think it's an interesting question especially when it's like grounded with a performance such as this one that's just so likable even even in in as great as mickey work is in the wrestler i think there's just like an inherent softness and kindness to brendan fraser that really even like brings you to a different level with the guy and like want to really just you know you you want you want to root for him even if it they, they but i think at the same time he makes it clear the guy's done some stuff you know, and, yeah, yeah. and put, put these people through some stuff. I mean, that that's where I think I would never tell anyone they're wrong if they don't like something. You know, it's a matter of taste. But I think the way that Aronofsky and by extension, uh, Hunter, because it is, it's the play and I assume it's very similar, um, presents your, you know, your your first look at Charlie is 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 not a particularly um, attractive look. You know, it's it's an introduction to him sort of at a low, you could say it's not meant to be, but it's just like. You're not you're not being introduced to him like put together and trying to make a good impression. You're seeing a lot of the worst of this person. And the fact that he's an optimist and sees the good in people is kind of what the the reflection is. You know, nobody sees the good in him because people just see what he looks like. And his world has son has because of that shrunk to a friend who doesn't judge him, a daughter who hates him, and essentially a stranger who never sees him until the the you know couple other people show up in the movie that's so his world is basically his his friend slash nurse his daughter kind of and the delivery guy like that's kind of what he's reduced people to in his life and because he's such a likable human being Brendan fraser you 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 i think do a little bit of the work that the movie needs you to do to remember oh this guy was charming he was he did all the things this what, who he is now is not who he always was, but also he is kind of who he always was because he's a good a good guy. You just have to look past what he's done to himself in a way. Well, yeah, and I think, but you you know, it's interesting you say that because again, I I agree, I really like the performance, but I think one thing a lot of these other people struggled with, who again, I don't necessarily blame them for that. At the same, like you said, like if it's not for you, it's not for you, but like. A lot of people were just like really, really down on like I I, I don't know. It's some, in some ways I think they're conflating the character and the performance, but like I heard a lot of people be very critical of Sadie Sink's performance at, before I even saw the movie. So I kind of went in with that that and that in the back of my mind a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, man, they are doing this. They're making this uh, girl do awful stuff. Uh, but at the same time, like I don't think that's on Sadie Sink. And at the same and also at the same time, like you can kind of understand why a teenage girl would kind of be troubled if she'd been through what this girl had been through. 
And yeah, it might be really uncomfortable to watch to to make her watch Charlie walk in that first scene. Like I I, I was really not comfortable with that, but it was like I wasn't like this is a bad performance or I exactly. think this girl should just be the most supportive ever. Like you can kind of you kind of get where it's all coming from at the same time, even as even if you just want them to kind of be nice to Charlie. Yeah, well, she has a line delivery towards the end. That's one of the that's one of the best lines in the movie. Just it's one word, and it's one of those things that just shatters you in this. And I think that's she plays that really well. She has a hard character to play because her character has the, the sharpest edges and is kind of the one that I think you could you could done wrong you could get the least out of, you know, because you have Charlie's front and center, and Liz very much is is voice of reason. Voice of reason um, gets a lot of the better lines, to, you know, gets to play back and forth with them. Also has the information dumps more so than, mm. you know, when we have to reveal a little bit of information, it's her. And then in terms of the the, the missionary and, and the and the ex-wife, they're, they're, they kind of come in for the moments that they need to, to come in. I think Ty Simpkins is fine. He's, that's the, maybe the part that worked the least for me is his kind of in and out for a little bit. You, I get what they're doing, but it, it that that's the one that felt the most stagey. You know, I, I appreciated the boxed in nature because that is Charlie's world, but that him sort of like popping in Kramer style a couple times at a certain point, you're like, really? He's back? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought about him a lot as I was trying to get ready for the podcast and I was trying to s- see what more I got out of it. And I know... I know Aronofsky has like a lot of different religious imagery and has a lot of, you know, and likes to deal in that subject matter a lot in his movies to very different extents. But I, but like, you know, they, they put that character through the ringer so much in just two hours that like, I could, I, 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 I had a tr- trouble coming down on exactly like where I should be with that guy at the, you know, and like how I should feel about him. Cause it, he, he's like, he's like three different things, th- three or four different things throughout at the end. And like, you think they're kind of coming around on him and it's like, okay, well maybe this is going to be an example of how like, Hey, religion could be some kind of outlet for Charlie, but maybe it's not for everyone. Don't judge them for it. But then I think we get to a point where we're ultimately where we're ultimately judging that guy anyway. It, it just because of the his final appeal to Charlie is kind of a little bit grounded in some uh, homophobic rhetoric. And I'm just like, all right, I don't know what I what all this time was spent on. Why we spend so much time with him if we were just going to end up here? You know, yeah. I don't have a problem with the performance itself. No, no, um, and, I, and I think some of the conversations are worthwhile because you need to learn the things you learn about Charlie and. And I think you need to see that different people are affected in different ways by by faith or lack thereof. Like I I understand that because he's you know Aronofsky likes to prod at religion. You know I think he, I think he's he's probably I mean if if you probably ask him like what his faith status is, I think he has a kind of like I want to believe feel so much, but he needs sure. maybe I maybe needs the proof that's not that's not there. So characters who feel like there are proof i think fascinate him you know rightly and rightly or wrongly there you know noah is very much like you know threaded through global warming but still hmm. um so I, I i don't know i think that that character well thinner than the rest i think fascinates him enough that it was always going to be a, a focus but you're never far removed from from the fraser of it all so it's not that it's never it's not a huge yeah i'm, I'm curious what you thought because i think one other area where i've seen uh, some criticism leveled at the movie a little bit is I think some people have, you know, not been th- not not been exactly thrilled with his direction and how they just like, in in just how Charlie himself is shot and how some of those binge eating sequences are shot and and framed like a horror movie at, at points. Did you did you take any issue with any of that or did you kind of like think it served the story well because. I, I was I was kind of on of, of two minds on it at certain points where I was like I don't I I, I don't I I I'm, I'm fine with it being like that it was a 600 pound guy because I think that like you know I I if that if that's what the story was to start I think it probably works less than if it's like a, a three or four hundred pound person that doesn't necessarily seem as dire and there's certainly a ticking clock element to this movie and I don't think there's a, I think there's only so many ways you can really shoot a 600 pound person so I'm curious. Did you think? Did you think the choices and how they just like depicted Charlie himself and his ordeal? Did it? Did it feel kind of like gratuitous at all to you, or do you, did you kind of get what he was going for? I, I got it. I, I mean, I can never tell someone they're wrong if like if it bugged them, but I think it was yeah. meant to, you know, be a here's here's the low point more so mm-hmm. than, than here's something like I don't. I I never felt like I was watching someone be othered. Now, I don't. I don't see myself in the way that some people might see themselves in 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 an overweight individual on screen so that that's just 
if that if you rub up against that, you rub up against that. There's there's nothing I can do. I can never tell someone they're right or wrong for feeling that way. What I do think is the people who are like, well, how come you hired? So, you know, like when we got at the very beginning of like, well, why why is Brendan Fraser playing this role? And that I couldn't really get behind because one, as I think Aronofsky spoke of, like there really aren't 600 pound actors. I can't ask someone to gain that weight. I'll kill them. And the people who are that size are not mobile in a way that I need. Like we, it, it, and and I when I so I interviewed Brendan Fraser and I spoke to him a little bit about it. And he talked about how much he studied like various animals, like because humans don't really carry that kind of carriage, you know, as a general rule. But like you know, there were there were certain animals that do, and they and they move their their gait is a very specific type of movement. So there, I think watching it is. Maybe it's just also what we don't normally see. We don't really see that kind of issue depicted on screen. You know, you're so I think it's probably maybe more accurate than we realize. Like, that's just kind of how you you kind of just sort of like stumble in a way to, to the next the next spot. You can't really get up upright, take a step, take another. It's just not how your body functions anymore. Oh, yeah. 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 Me- Makes total sense. I, I guess I, I yeah, I, I, yeah, and I'd seen some of that too, where people were mis- criticizing if it really needed to be him. But like, I, I, I yeah, I, 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 he's I, also I like almost a 300 pound man. Like, he's not a small individual. So, this yeah, like some real skinny guy was always pretty silly. Yeah. For those who haven't really followed Brendan Fraser's story, went, went away for a, a, a better part of like the, you know, the 2010s and just wasn't seen as much, had some, had some physical issues stemming from injuries suffered during his times in action movies and put on a good amount of weight. But as you know, I think he's, I, from what I gather, he's gotten to a, a, a somewhat healthier place now, but has also just started like working again. And I think we popped up in no sudden move last year is going to be in killers of the fire moon and is yeah, you know, that- like, it, he had an issue with uh, someone at the Golden Globes years ago. So like there was, there was right. a lot, a little bit of on. a possible blackballing thing too. Yeah. It's so it's, it's, it's been, it's been a comeback for him, but it's not exactly like he's just like physically the guy he was in the nineties either. So it kind of wow. like kind of made sense for him to be able to kind of take, take this on from that perspective too. And I think he, it seems like, he, I mean, he, like, I mean, you, from, from all accounts, not, I mean, it, it sounds like, I'm sure you had a nice conversation with him. It seems like it's like a lovely guy and it's someone that would, you know, be sensitive to these issues, you know, oh, he, uh, thoughtful about it. Yeah. I, I, he, he almost was on the verge of tears from being complimented. It was, it was very interesting. I'm not used to someone actually listening when I compliment them, let alone like taking it to heart. He offered me gummies. He was like, if you were, if you were here, I'd give you my gummy bears. Um, it was a lovely conversation. I think that's, I think you need an actor like that in a movie like this. Otherwise, you you might feel the distance more because you know Aronofsky is is a colder filmmaker than not. You know the the wrestler. I think done differently. You know I love that movie. It's my was my favorite movie of that year. But you know you don't. Nicholas Cage was rumored to be in the lead early on before Mickey Rourke, and I liked Nicholas Cage. I don't think that movie works with Nicolas Cage. I think you need Mickey Rourke to fill in all those blanks of what Randy went through over the years for you to feel for him in a way that makes the movie work in the same way that I think a little bit here, the just inherent likability of Brendan Fraser is helpful when you're seeing Charlie, like putting ranch on pizza and going to town on it. And you're just like, I want you to stop. And you're supposed to be repulsed, not by him, so you're repulsed by that kind of treatment of yourself, you know, and I think because you like him, that helps. I think if it was, you know, this is a terrible example. But if it was Kevin Spacey, you'd be like, well, fuck him. And you just you wouldn't be invested in the character. Yeah, yeah. You just I mean, you, you don't like to see that guy doing it to himself. And you and I think it's interesting the way that I, I, I do think it aside from the 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 missionary thing only working so much for me, I think the rest of the movie really does unfold in an interesting where you can kind of. You can kind of come to see how he got to a point where he's doing this to himself, and he he doesn't really feel like he has a whole lot else to live for. But he, he yeah. and like he, he probably thinks he's almost too far gone with his daughter, who I as I didn't mention, he's basically having to pay to hang out with him, and uh you know and wants to you know wants to connect with her in some way, but at the same time doesn't necessarily see enough potential there because of all the harm he's done to like actually make it worth saving himself. So he's like, oh, he uh, he sees I'll- the good in everyone. He's an optimist. 
he sees the least good in himself at this point. Right. Exactly. And I think that's why he's, you know, figured, Hey, if I'm going to go out this, I mean, I may as well just like, I may as well just kind of give in at this point and it's uncomfortable for the audience to see. And I think, again, I think it's just an interesting, like you said beforehand, a, a demand for empathy and exercise and seeing how much of it you can elicit. However you want to look at it. it I, I do think it's just a, it, it's pretty, it, it's a, it's an interesting way of just like putting everything out there with this guy and just like kind of daring the audience to just kind of like be there for him, despite everything you kind of like see him do to himself and come to learn of what he's done to others and just kind of challenging us to like, see how we feel about that. And I, I, I do think it's an interesting kind of exercise with res- in that, in that respect, even if like, Hey, not necessarily every single story choice worked. Like, again, I still not really sure how to feel about the mission or anything. I think, I think a lot of the rest of it's really, really effective and done in a way that like, yeah. And I, I, I can also kind of see some of those criticisms I was asking you about earlier with respect to certain parts of it being shot like a horror movie, but like, I don't know if in, in maybe, and yeah, maybe not every single choice there is something that I, I that is something I would do if left to my own devices. But again, I think a lot of it also is really effective and like, conveying that level yeah. of uncomfortable that level of uncomfortableness I, I i don't think we mentioned yet that matthew batik shot it and like it's all in almost one location and every now every now and then you get out to his front porch it's the smallness of charlie's world is it's mm-hmm. not so much the horror aspect but it's everything is tight because his world is tight his world has has gone from the world where he was a you know a popular teacher he was a husband he was a father he you know ended up leaving them for for this guy and but still was doing it for happiness was doing it to be a happy person and as when that was taken away from him the world started to get smaller and he receded into the home and he gained weight and everything got smaller and smaller and now that's everything that that couch is essentially the world and i think that's played not necessarily as horror but i mean you could find it horrific but that's why i think when you have the the climactic burst of light you know and the world is sort of opened again at the last moment it's it's it actually is surprisingly profound because it's like oh what what little change this is but what a big difference it is to actually not see the world as closed but open yeah you know i yeah no i i agree it's it's just a it's 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 an interesting approach to a character like that and i and i appreciate a lot of the the, the questions aronoff he raises and i think it's like uh you know guy I, and it it, 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 it do a good job of putting you in that apartment oh for lack of a better term i just i just i just kind of felt how i I felt how cramped it was i felt how difficult it was for him to move around and i I had it and then i just had a really good sense of that space by the end of the time there i always appreciate when and it's easier to do it i guess in one location movies like that but i i appreciate it when someone like you know feels like you were in the geography of a place in less than two hours i i always i always feel that enhances my experience with the movie um Yeah, uh, Joey, Joey, is there anything else about the movie we didn't touch on yet that you wanted to kind of uh, highlight or shout out? Yeah, I'll wrap up with the score. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. The score was, so normally it's uh, Clint Mansell, who is a genius. And uh, it's actually, it's Rob Simonson this time, who I think people, everybody sees that name because he works with a lot of people. He works with Jason Reitman. Um, he, you know, he's one of those guys who I think in the way that like the Spla has a bunch of scores every year, Rob Simonson has every shot. Like he did, um, the Adam project this year as well. Like he's, he's got a bunch of stuff always going on. And I, I kind of like that. It was bombastic almost at times. Like it was, it called attention to itself in a way that I found interesting. It was, it was part of the emotionality of it all. I, 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 that might be my favorite score of the year, actually. It's, it's, it's. It's one that I didn't see get enough attention, but I, I think all the moments where you want like music to come in and, and make you feel, it does it. And and it's not necessarily trying to be subtle, but I think it's incredibly effective. Yeah, I guess that was part of what I was talking about too when I said it's parts of it have been divisive and almost horror-like in the way that people were describing it. And so much as like, I think the way the score kind of plays during the binge eating scenes or a few of the times where he just like gets up and has to be mobile it's 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 kind of harrowing in a way I, I, is how i would almost put it more so than just like i don't think it's being dropped in there in a way to just like make you judge him for being fat or whatever but i think it's certainly there to like make it kind of just like hey be like hey this, this is dire this dude is not doing well this is kind of our way of conveying how difficult it is for him to like get up and do something for get up and do anything i guess you know and I, if 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 nothing, if, if, if nothing else, I think the score succeeded at that. Um, uh, j- just for the, just for our our listeners that aren't as ste- steeped in the Oscar races, is uh, and aren't following the precursors, which honestly kind of includes me this year. Is is he the favorite right now? Is Fraser the favorite? Um, I think we're still early in a way. Yeah. So mm-hmm. 
definitely could win, but um, it seems like he, the movie might not get a lot of love beyond him. So I don't know how much that. I mean, it might. I think the movie, him. the movie is kind of looking at him and makeup, yeah. and then adapted. It's kind of a mess. So it's right there. You just don't know what's going to happen. And then Hong Chap. That's kind of where the movie is is hoping for things. But um, what happened is he didn't just start winning all the critics groups, which sometimes happens and, and doesn't always mean one thing. But that outcome hasn't happened. It's kind of split among a lot of people. So um, he, I, I think three people are probably in contention to win. Fraser? Because no one, no one will be upset that he has an Oscar, even if they don't like the performance or the movie. Uh, Austin Butler, because that is their type of, of thing. And they they do it more often than they don't. It's not my choice, but it could happen. And then um, Colin Farrell, yeah, who has done better, I think, among the, the early precursor things. And then you have Bill Nye kind of like in that fourth spot. And then that fifth spot could be Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, Diego Calva, uh, Paul Mescal, Adam Sandler, you know, it's the, it's the throw a rock can go in a lot of different directions. Spot. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very weird category. Like I just, again, like I'm just haven't, I probably haven't gotten quite into like all the pro- reading, all the prognostications. Depending on how it goes, all five could be first timers and that never happens. Yeah. That'd be interesting. And I, I just hadn't, um, I did not know. I'm, I'm, I'm I just pulled up, like I pulled up, uh, uh, your old friend Clayton's rankings at Variety, uh, and I was like, "Oh wow, I did not know Bill Nye and Tom Hanks for like both like kind of that high up in rank prediction." Well, Nye, I, Nye's kind of just sat there the whole time, happy yeah. to be fourth, which is cool. Yeah, that's one of the few I haven't seen <laughs> that I actually knew I that I actually knew I hadn't seen. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, "Oh, a man called Otto is like a 2022 release." Yeah, no, I, it, I keep seeing it in front of every. I keep seeing it in front of every single trailer in front of every single. Movie, right before like, I voted for for Critics Choice. I uh, it initially wasn't going to screen in time, but it was they made a screener available apparently, um, or at least mine worked, so I watched it, and it's way better than you think it's going to be. I mean, if you've seen a man called Ove, you know what you're in for. Uh, but Hanks is is a really good curmudgeon. It was uh, it was surprisingly effective. So I I think don't a hundred percent sleep on the fact that it's going to be the last thing a lot of people see, and it's it's an older voter movie. So like I don't know that anything's gonna happen, but anyone who thinks like, oh, it's he's barely a factor, no, 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 like this this could happen. You're not gonna win, but like there's a world in which that five spot is definitely Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah. After Sun and Living were like you know like two of the three big and Triangle of Sadness were like the three things I really felt like I needed to see to kind of like get where I needed to be for the year. And then I was like, wait, I got I need to watch a man called Otto. That's gonna is it Otto or Odo? I don't know. Uh, um, Otto. I, I I I need I need to watch a man called Otto. Like when when can I even do that? So that's like uh, one that's like right Friday. there. But you say did you just say Friday? I think it comes out on the thirtieth. Oh okay. Well there you go. I, I know my review goes up in the morning. There we go. So yeah, it's just but, oh. but you're right. You're right about those three being the three, and it's interesting. Okay. I didn't that Elvis seems to like really have those kind of legs, but like I I I I think my preference would probably be uh, Brandon Fraser or Colin Farrell. But you know I guess yeah we'll see. I don't I didn't care for Elvis so. Yeah, I mean, mind I mean, me, I like Elvis music, but like, that was about I, it. I went to it with my grandma, and she didn't fall asleep or go to the bathroom or the whole entire time. And I think that's like with my grandma, that's like a really big accomplishment. So I was I, like, wow, I I'm, watched I'm, it on HBO and didn't care for it. Oh, interesting. Um, so I, I was just impressed with it for that, if nothing else. Even if like sure. you know, I was pretty, it's pretty split on the experience. But um, but yeah, I, I it'll be interesting to see like you know how the whale plays down the stretch. I think it's just really, I, I'd be really happy for Brendan Fraser, even if like you know, it's it's just interesting that like he has that. It seems like he has that kind of well-rounded support, even if the movie itself doesn't. So yeah, yeah I'd, be, I think I, I'd be really cool to would, see it see it happen for him. Yeah, no one would uh, really protest. I think if he came up with it and it's made you know made over three million bucks already like the curiosity factor has uh certainly worked in its favor yeah you know for all the different you know <laughs> us talking about all the different ways in which the movie is kind of uncomfortable at times and stuff like that it does seem like it's like connecting with the audience it had a pretty high we, audience going on one million and it um it's up to 600 theaters so it kind of opened wide but still it's you know it's not in three thousand theaters Right. And, you know, I think we dwelled a lot on like some of the uncomfortableness of the movie, but I think I, I, I don't, there's, there's some like genuine laughs in the movie too, amidst all that. 
And I think I, I wasn't at a super crowded screening myself. My, my theater might've been like half full on the Sunday of the weekend it opened or something like that. And at least where it opened in my market and people like, you know, seem to like really enjoy it at times. It's like, yeah, it's dark. And um, this guy's going through some stuff, but like, I, it just seemed like just the numbers you're rattling off there. People do. Seem yeah, it's to be not a, it's there. not a go in blind movie, but if you're aware of the filmmaker or you're aware of the premise or you've read some degree of the discourse, you know, it, it's not like it's going to, you're going to walk in and be like, the hell am I watching? It's, it sets you up for pretty well. If anything, at this point, you're still kind of like, I want to know what he looks like. Cause they've, they've very consistently made, which I, I, I understand. Like there's no real good way in out of context to show the, the, the prosthetic and the makeup and, and not have someone make a shitty comment on the internet. So it was, I was fine to be like, you know what? Watch the movie. Cause no one in the movie is going to sit there and snicker. Yeah, sure, sure, true, true. All right, well, that's the whale, uh, and I think people. It's, it's. I think I'm actually going to get this up pretty soon after the podcast, uh, Joey. Sometimes I hold these for a while, but yeah. don't have an episode for this week yet. So, and it's. And I think it's like still expanding across the country. So I think that we're going to get this out at a timely moment for people to go check it out. And I hope uh, you should be able to see it at a theater near you. So I, I, I think we both recommend that everyone do that. I think uh, Joey really enjoyed it, and I found a lot to appreciate it with as well. So even if you hear this divisive reaction, I think it's definitely, if nothing else, I think everyone would say like, "Hey, there's something redeeming about." this movie and brendan fraser's performance and a decent chance you'll take something else from it as well um so yeah that's the whale we're gonna move on now we're gonna talk about she said she said is the is the is the newest movie from uh from d- director maria schrader uh it's a screenplay by uh, rebecca linkowitz it uh is based on the book she said that was uh kind of written by jody Cantor and megan tui of the new york times after they had their own piece in the new york times uh kind of exposing a lot of the first uh a lot of the first allegations against Harvey Weinstein because they were some of the first reporters along with Ronan Farrow at the New Yorker to get uh, different women to go on the record about their experience with Harvey, Harvey Weinstein and sexually in, in his, uh, in his crimes of sexual assault, which we can call crimes now because he's in jail and has been actually convicted of them, which, well, you know, wasn't the case at the time this, uh, this story was written, but, you know, I think the, the movie stars, uh, Jody uh, stars Zoe Kazan and, uh, Carrie Mulgan as Jodie Cantor and Megan Tui, respectively. And at the beginning of the movie, Jodie Cantor gets a tip uh, that Rose McGowan had been sexually assaulted by Harvey Weinstein. She tries to contact her and spends a lot of the movie kind of, you know, working on her to go on the record. And, and you know, I think um, Megan Tui had a little bit more uh, prior experience in some of this, uh, in some of this subject matter. So she reaches out to her and they begin working on the story together. And we see kind of their, their entire process to kind of get this from this turning in starting out as a tip to getting it to go somewhere where it felt like something they could actually put out into the world from a, you know, a comprehensive journalistic standpoint where they've gotten all the right pieces in place and gotten all the right sources and confirmation, all that. We really just kind of see this all whole entire process from conception to publication. Uh, Joey, I'm kind of curious because, you know, it's interesting, like even something like spotlight, a movie that I really loved, like that had a little more space between when that story kind of, you know, actually was published and when they did a movie about it. So I think it's kind of interesting that this movie is coming out relatively quickly after, and not that it's uncommon for true story movies to get made, you know, not long after their events, but this is one that was like a pretty well-known story. I mean, it, you know, largely kicked off the Me Too movement was the Harvey Weinstein story. And so it's something that a lot of people know about that happened pretty recently. So I'm wondering, like, when you're going into a movie like this about something that like, I think you're going to be a lot more well-versed in the subject matter than a lot of people because this stuff touches on stuff that you do for it is, is pretty closely related to the field in which you work for a living. So I think you're going to know pretty well. Uh, I guess, what are you hoping to get out of a movie like this where you, you probably just kind of know a lot about it going in already. And what, what are you kind of hoping is to like mainly get out of this and see depicted that you just maybe probably weren't already able to like, just kind of see in your mind before you even walked into the theater. If you know, if you get what I'm getting at Sure. Uh, yeah, I don't normally go to see movies where I've met the villain. But <laughs> yeah, I've interacted with the monster. Um, sure. It's it's very strange. Um, I think going in, you you want to, with something like this, especially when it's about to some degree a movement that is not done, you don't want there to be a feeling of like self-congratulatory. Um, like I, you don't want... You don't want anyone in the making the movie to to pat themselves on the back and be like, job well done. We did it, guys. Um, sure. Beyond that, I mean, you, you want to either learn something you haven't or that's not always the case. You want to see it done in a way that provides an outlet for emotion. And, you know, most people had a very similar reaction 
of you know initially horror that this is something that was that happened and was apparently allowed to happen and and you just you're, you you struggle to process like the amount of people who could you know be involved or or even just like or the amount of people who suffer and like oh and this is just was gonna just uh, this was gonna keep going like what was the end game just until i until i no longer feel like raping people so when you watch them you know the the movie about the work to bring down the monster you you want to see the work reflected and and the reason the work is important not necessarily the end result and i think not to jump ahead but i think that's why the the movie smartly ends exactly where it ends because to do too much more you know then you get into like the uh imitation game of it all like these are what we call computers today you don't want the the end to be like and this is today what we call the she's you know the the me too movement you don't want there to be some implicit like you should give us credit for doing this and the movie is very much about like there was a thing going on and there were other factors of why it got attention at the moment that it did um movie does a pretty good job of the first act being trumpy also of like there was this this type of guy was rising and that's not a good thing for the world to know how it happens I don't think I realized until like yesterday when I watched this Margot Robbie, uh, Carrie Mulligan actors on actors interview that the guy that like they, they actually hired James Austin Johnson to voice Trump before he got cast on SNL and then <laughs> where he now plays Trump, which I, I didn't, I didn't even realize that was his voice in the movie till now. I didn't um, know. I didn't, I haven't watched SNL in a little bit, so I didn't know there was a, a new Trump. I, uh, yeah, he's really good in a way where it's like as good as he can be. Cause that's like what's gotten more time i haven't watched much of snl this year but he, he he was on it last year and it was just like okay well this is nice that we can move on from the alec baldwin of it all but i still don't really I, their political stuff is like the least favorite stuff they're doing at this point for me or my my least favorite thing they're doing right now but, depends um, i i always like uh i was like weekend update when i watch oh yeah yeah, yeah. i do like that yeah and um, you know, like in an election season i like their cold open you know that's usually when they're they're at their best especially the debates they're always good they're always good at debates and you know, if if the if a big story happens, they usually do a good job of it. But the like, oh, we just have to reflect the general mood of the world on Saturday. They, yeah, they'll they'll get they'll get broader than they need to. But like, you know, you you knew when 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 Biden told them to shut up, you're like, well, that's going to be in in it, on SNL on Saturday. Like, that's just going to happen. Right, right. Well, but I, I well, I, I did like your point though about like how uh, she said got to a point where like. It got, I found a good stopping point. I, I I really don't. I don't really like the imitation game that much. And it's like I get I get what you're saying where it's like, yeah, look how great he was for you know science and all that. But then they have like all these other title cards at the end about like all the horrible stuff the the British yeah. government did. He to was him. chemically castrated. But by the way, the machine he made got more and more complex today. Yeah. You're like, oh yes. really? I think Worth yeah, they that still. <laughs> I get so mad about this. Don't show me a better movie when you've already finished your shitty movie. So like, yes. like imitation game is fine, but it's a bad it, it got it got like almost all the Oscar nominations, and in my opinion, like a most violent year should have gotten. That's my opinion. Oh, or or, or many many a film that year. But no, the the worst one recently was Harriet because I didn't really like Harriet. But then that title card is like, by the way, then she like led soldiers and was like a spy. <laughs> like show me that made that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, like Emancipation almost did that this year, and I was about to scream. Oh my god! So they were like, um, "Okay, the third act will be the thing we would have just put on a title card." That's one that I haven't watched yet this year that I just don't necessarily feel the strong pull to for at the moment. Yeah, um, but uh, but, but yeah, I you know one interesting thing I think they did also in in she said uh, in addition to what you said like because I. I, it didn't even really click for me until like right before we kind of got on the podcast and I was just kind of organizing my notes and I was like, you know, I think one thing it really does in a, a movie like this can do, even if it's something that like we know really that well, and maybe this wouldn't have been new to me if I'd read their book, but I only really read the, um, I only really read, I only really read the stories as they came out in the New Yorker, the New York times at the time I did not read their book. So I think one thing, an interesting thing, something like this can accomplish is provide context to why the system is the way it is. Sure. And how it even got to a point where something like what they did was needed it was necessary. And honestly, this was something I was going to mention further down. But I think like the most important scene in the movie to me is the one where Jody gets the gets the former accountant to give her that memo. But yeah. it takes like a lot of time. It's like they spend a lot of time with that guy. And it's like two or three scenes of her like convincing him to hand over a memo. I think and that, it's like, oh. that one pairs incredibly well with one that I really like, which is um, Carrie Mulligan talking to Lanny Davis, the lawyer. Mm-hmm. And, and he's sort of making it clear like i'm not the bad guy here because that's easily a villain in a different movie 
you know, sure. he's it. kind of a, he's kind of a shady character in real life too. Exactly. He's not, he's not exactly, he's not a hero, but I like the idea of like, get, listen, we both know what's going on. Like I'm going to serve my client, but we both know what you're looking for. What has presumably happened? What I'm trying to prevent from happening. Cause I, his line that he has a, that, there's a great line for that character when, when she's like, it's going to come out, Lanny. And he goes, these things tend, you know, like I forget the exact line, but it's like, they generally do. Basically saying, like, I know he's going down. I just can't give uh, you all the information. But, but yeah, and people have a right to representation, even Harvey Weinstein. So it's like, you kind of get that, that, you know, and I agree that that scene was acted very well. That guy just has like a, that guy has a job to do. And he's yeah. gonna like do it up until he can't. He's like he's like kind of like one of those uh, uh one of those Republican election lawyers that's like they're gonna do their job until they get in front of the judge, and then they're just gonna fall apart and be like, yeah, I got nothing. And hey, so no, like, I, yeah. this is yeah, I got you, Harv. And then as soon as they're like, well, do you have any evidence? I have nothing. Right, but the, the thing about the scene with the guy with the the accountant, the accountant was that like it took so much convincing for just an accountant to do the, do the right thing. Like right. there's all these women that we've already seen at that point, like actually and at various points in the movie before that point, finally actually agreed to go on the record. And it's like he this guy's kind of like one of the final pieces. And it's taking them so much effort to get this accountant that I don't think actually works for the Weinstein company anymore at that point. And it's like he just happens to have some documents. But even if he did, it's like he has like very little to lose compared to like all these other women. He's just one, yeah, it's like one, he's a dude. Two, he can just hand over that memo and like they can and because he's handing over a memo, they're not. He doesn't actually have to give his name to go on the record at that point, and so it's like it's not. It's not going to really cost him that much. Well, you see throughout and, the movie how pervasive it was that not only was there an attempt to make sure that people didn't say things, but that you were you were somehow indebted before that. So you have um, the lawyer who was like, "Oh, I got a book deal." Oh, okay. Well, that's that's not sketchy at all. You have <laughs> one of the victims, and one of the reasons she ends up deciding she's willing to uh, to go on the record is she gets a call, basically, mm -hmm. of like, well, what you know, you're good. Another, yeah, former wine scene associate. Yeah. Exactly that kind of that kind of thing. You have, you know, in real life, I remember hearing um, Kevin Smith tell the story of like he's like, I never knew any of this was going on. I, I didn't have that relationship with him. He gave me money, but he said like a week before the New York Times story came out, I got a call from him. And it was like, oh, we haven't, you know, we don't haven't done anything with Dogma in a while. We should do that sequel finally. And like, wow, calls someone else, calls um, John Gordon, is one of the producers who used to work for Miramax and the Weinstein Company. They made Red State together. He's like, John, I think, and he's like, yeah, no, uh, Harvey called me too. He's calling everyone. He wants to know who's his friend and who isn't. And like, that was what was going on at the time. Like, who's on my side? Who's not? Who can be on my side? Who do we have to worry about? And while all that's happening, you're trying to do your job and get the information. Well, a whole other operation is going on to make sure you never get that information. Yeah, it's like I mean, and I think if you've, I think, I think Ronan Farrow like wrote a, wrote a whole book about like just you know the the former Mossad agency had tracked people and stuff like that. Like, it's, and he's got a whole other, wild. He's a, he's a character. He's an off screen character. Like he's doing, you know, he's investing. Other people are investigating, and there's this sense of you only really get one shot at it. So if if the the wrong article comes out, he's gonna walk. And not even that it makes you a it, it makes them someone any better person just because they happen to be in the field and know that Harvey could blackball them or something like that. But I think you kind of you, you understand that pressure, if nothing else, to like look to to like you know look the other way or like or not do the brave thing when it's like, hey, look how this powerful guy could just be out to get me at that point. Well, I mean, and we I all guess, knew he was a jerk. I mean, like I I was oh, yeah. in, and like I never saw him blow up at people, but like. You're not unaware that like he treated people terribly. No, I, it's, it's an open secret. Even someone that doesn't really never worked in the industry like me like even knows that. You know, it's like it's kind of the same thing with the Scott and Rudin thing before that big story came out last year. Like everyone just kind of like knows this stuff and they just kind of put up with it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, it just it, it, they, they, they certainly fill in a lot of different. Like, they, they give you a lot of different examples of how it can get to the point where like someone can get away with it for that long, even by like starting the movie like back with like you know the flashback to like 92 or whatever just to like be like yeah this, this is going on for like you know damn near damn near 30 years almost before 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 it hit this breaking point i guess my point in like highlighting the thing with the accountant was like that guy in like is it really that different to go be an accountant just for regular people as opposed to like for something like the weinstein company and like he like someone like that really has nothing to lose by like being blackballed by the entertainment industry and like it's still it's still hard because of, of where he has his tentacles even in people that are just like not 
front-facing folks. Even talking about the the interns who were victims and and mm -hmm. talking about like, oh, well, why would you ever want to leave a Weinstein company like that? You've got your job there. Like, this is a this is a culture-wide thing. You know, you you make it the place to be. So that also, why would you ever leave? There's something wrong with you if you leave. It's all it's all part of the mind games. Yeah, I mean, I I just think it, the movie did a pretty good job of like show, showing that system, which I mean which someone might not be fully aware of or like how these powerful people kind of get their tentacles everywhere even if you did have a general working understanding of like who got who got me to for lack of a better term uh how someone can like you know you know really get away with it for that long it can only be someone this powerful that you know is that good of a manipulator and the, and the movie certainly uh gets at that pretty well um i guess the other the other kind of thing i i wanted to highlight for the movie myself uh before as opposed to any kind of more specific stuff was just like i do think it i do think it does a pretty good job on like you know being a journalism movie and uh i think one thing i mean by that and i i think some of my only criticism criticisms i really have the movie or maybe like some of the writing specifically like i think there's certain times where i think it it, it has them talking about how important it is the work they're doing that they're doing is as opposed yeah. to just like you know showing us there's like at least three different like in three different scenes i counted where the person one of the megan or jody just kind of says like you know this is so important what we're doing this is so important what we're doing it's like yeah i get it we, we all know we're here at the movie and we know what this yeah. movie's about uh and i and I, I i think that's it but like at the same time like it's true and i think the movie the, that the movie even exists and it goes to the painstaking detail of showing how something like this gets done yeah uh, i think I, th I think yeah, I think that in and of itself is like really important. Like we see, like it's like I, I mean, again, it is the New York Times. They have a lot of money, and there are few, not that many newspapers that can afford to just like you know send someone to like a park, like a neighborhood in San Francisco to go knock on a door from New York or go track a source down in London when a New York send a New York reporter to London or Scotland or Ireland or wherever it was to like track a person down. Like I, I get it, not a lot of papers have the ability to do that. But this is a massive story, so a massive paper handled it, and I think it's actually pretty important to like just show like, hey, look what happens when like we actually invest these kind of resources in journalism. And I think that the movie takes its time with those steps. I think it was I, I I just I just generally appreciated that as a, as like someone that was a journalist in a in a prior life and still you know cares about the field. Yeah, no, it it does a very good job of showing you what goes into good journalism. The fact that you have to have a certain tact with people, you have to go about it a certain way. That you know when they go to San Francisco. And the the husband doesn't know the information she's giving him. You know that's a very a very mm -hmm. powerful scene of like, oh, I what could seem like, it could seem like a dead end kind of scene. But I think the idea of like, oh, either is he, you know, why is he reacting this way? And the face value is that she never even told really him what was what happened there. So he's going through the process of like this thing that I knew about vaguely as like a news story of like oh harvey weinstein might be a bad dude wait you're writing an article about that you want to talk to my wife she worked for it. like he's starting to like put it together there's a lot of scenes spent on allowing people to put information together and 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 build up so by the time they get to the point where they're going to start writing the article you feel like you have the information it doesn't feel like an, a, a movie where like they didn't do any journalism and just there's going to be an article at the end of it 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 very much gives you here's the bullet points of what we're going to do and here's how we're we're sourcing here's how we're confirming here's how we're getting this ready for print right and i think uh, just another point that Carrie Mulligan made in the interview i was referencing earlier is that like i think it is important just to show that that process of like how much confirmation you ever have to actually get before you run with a story oh yeah uh, because i think like especially today and and it's yeah maybe you're not going to do anything to like actually you know, change the way some certain bad faith actors think about, like, talk about the media today. Uh, but like, you know, to the extent that anyone is willing to be like disabused of the notion of everyone being fake news, uh, you know, to hear, to like be like, to just fully understand like just how many sources have to be checked before like someone actually goes with the story. And it's something that I, 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 I understand. The person, like the movie doesn't ignore that. Like, like the person mm -hmm. writing this about gets the information ahead of time. Goes like, to their offices. Exactly. Here's exactly what's going to be in the article about you. Would you like to tell us if any of it's not accurate? Can you provide evidence that's not accurate? If you can, we won't include it. Like there's a whole process. And that's why I, it's so interesting when that sort of starts and you see Weinstein just kind of like trying to steamroll all of that. And it takes someone like the the editor, the Andre Brower character to be like, Dean Bacay. Yeah, like, like Harvey, I'm not playing this game. Like I'm going to give you all of the things that I am legally obligated to give you. If you're just going to like yell and play games and try to like 
figure out where this came from. Like, we have nothing to do here. Like, I'm gonna gonna post my article. Like, it is it's it's all done without that big flashy scene. You know, the 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 big yelling scene that like you know spotlight has has the it's time scene, which I'm sure didn't particularly happen that way, but is a phenomenal scene. Here you have a much lower key one where she yells at the 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 guy at the bar. You know, like but you need you needed that outlet. But for the most part, the movie doesn't give in to like the emotion. It lets you be emotional in the sense of like, this is awful. The fact that this is every time this article doesn't go up, this could happen more. So that's awful. And and the movie never overplays that hand, I think. Wait, when you said when you said that it's time scene in spotlight, you meant you meant like when they decided they had enough to run the story? When uh, when he when Mark Ruffalo says it's time and and uh, Michael Keaton says we're not ready yet and he's like right right he does his rant about we have to tell them that like everyone's responsible you know it's yeah we need to take down the system not just the one guy or whatever and yeah no I just rewatched it a couple nights ago so I was I, was, I, I couldn't remember exactly I want to I was curious what specific part you're referring to but yeah. I, I got you on that yeah yeah no but it, it it certainly is just like you know important that they they can kind of convey like just like how. Uh, just how meticulous these places are before they will actually allow something to be published because it just lets you know like look like it's everything's not fake news like most places have standards even my college news, newspaper has similar had similar standards and that's why i kind of understood like what went into it it's like oh it's kind of good that a movie is going to show just how careful these people are before they actually run with something you know yeah no um, it's very it's very smart to show you all that so unless you're the most biased person possible you're never going to think you didn't look at good journalism yeah, definitely. Um, this is a this is I know this is I think we are both uh, we are both pro Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan in general. How do you how, what did you think of uh, their performances? Uh, they're both excellent. I think I think Carrie Mulligan is a bit showier, mm-hmm. but I I love that Zoe Kazan is just the dogged journalist. Like I, mm-hmm. she's one of my favorite actresses, and I know I know oddly some people run very cold on her compared to other people, but I um. I love that she was the the lower key, you know. I going she's to out do, she's out doing stuff and doing all the shoe other stuff because I think partially because I guess something the movie to its credit doesn't shy away from and tries to find room for that Megan Tui was dealing with postpartum depression, like why she did the, while they were exactly. doing the whole thing. They're, they're different people, you know. She she was to some degree also at the beginning working on the Trump stuff. Like there was a lot going on, so like it it always made sense. When you watch it, of how they they brought in two people, it never felt like, oh, we we got to figure out a way to jerry rig this because that's not how it happened. You know, it felt natural, and they and they are different types of actresses. So watching them kind of like double team these in different ways was uh, it was it was great, and I love all the the supporting characters. You know, the the Andre Brower and Patricia Clarkson's of the world don't have a I don't want to say they don't have a lot to do. They have a very specific thing to do, and they do it very well. It's just not Andre Bowers largely, yeah. Andre Bowers like largely just opt- his flashiest moments are like just talk, staring at a phone with Harvey Weinstein on the other end, and it's like pretty impressive. Like I think they do a great you know, job of showing you organizational competence. Like they're good at their job. They're good at encouraging their employees to be better at their job. Whereas Jennifer Ely, Samantha, you know um, Samantha Morton, you have your your victims get sort of like these one scene showcases of of processing trauma and how they're gonna. Or in some cases, not, you know, push back, and and I think everyone's doing a great job. I think the the score from Nicholas Patel is great. Like it's a, it's a much like the subject matter and what we're seeing. It's it's a very competent, impeccably made product. Yeah. What did you think of the choice to have Ashley Judd play herself? Because I was like kind of confused at first, and I was like taken aback, and like by the end, I actually found it to be like pretty a pretty powerful just that choice in and of itself to have her in the movie. After after you did that that sort of double take of like oh wait she's she's here, it kind of felt like the only choice. Like how of course she should tell her story. Like if she's if she's ultimately one of the first people who came forward and is the reason why this is happening, if she wants to be here, like why should she not get to put face to be the one to speak the lines to put the monster behind bars essentially. Also, when was the last time you saw her in like a movie? Mm, uh, it's been a bit. Right. So it's like, I mean, and I think, and how much of that is, is Harvey Weinstein to blame for that? You know, I mean, he's um, not right. And it's like, so I think just like having her like show up, it's like, oh, wow, that is Ashley Judd. Like, wait, when have I seen her before? And it's like that, that I now see it's so rare for me to be seeing her in something. And I'm only now realizing that as I watch her in this playing herself, it's like, 
it's largely because of this guy and it, it just kind of underscored just like how tragic the story was of what he probably did to so many actresses like that. Just that it felt so unusual to see her in a movie. Cause I, while watching her in this movie, I, I, a dog's yeah, way yeah. home. I can't tell you, can tell you the first thing about it or what year, even what year that was. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a movie from a couple of years ago, but yeah. yeah okay. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I just think that I heard that, it, that's really it. Yeah, it, it just kind of hit me as I like during one of her more powerful scenes later in the movie. It, it it just kind of like actually like was kind of moving for me to like see her get to do her thing in this, and that she got the opportunity to like you said tell her story when it's like she's in this be in a movie when Harvey's probably been a reason why she hasn't been in so many for so long when she was pretty big deal in the nineties, you know. So I I I really kind of like actually appreciated that choice, and I can't say I saw a lot of people like say I I feel like I I'm, I don't want to again I, I'm not trying to just like knock down a straw man here but i definitely saw at least one review or two that just thought it was kind of weird and i'm like and the more i thought about it the more it kind of worked for me so i wanted to at least highlight that as like a interesting choice for a movie like this to make that i think ultimately worked so yeah yeah no it's a it's a it's a it's not a choice i think every film would make and i think it could have backfired but i think after that moment of like wait is this cute no no it's important and you're back on track yeah, I, I I appreciated that, and I just you know I, I just think there's a I again I, like I said I, I did watch Spotlight the other night. There's the victim interviews in Spotlight are just like really really well done, and I think here they're they are impressive too. And I think um I and I, I kind of like went back and forth on it because like again I I'm like kind of biased because I I really love Spotlight so much. It was the worthy one companions. My, one of my two favorite yeah it was one of my two favorite movies of that year, and I guess I, so it's natural for me to like you know, uh, natural for me to just like compare it when I'm seeing something like this with, you know, within the same decade. And I, it's, it's, it, so I'm just holding it. If that was number think, one, what was the uh, other? Two? It was, it was that and then Mad, Mad Max. And I think I'd spotlight number one at the end of the year. And I think, you know, I, and I can, I can understand why Mad Max is like a better accomplishment in some ways, but as someone that was like, you know, less than two years away from graduating journalism school, I think I was just kind of biased. So, I, I mean, I had spotlight one, but I had Anomalisa too. Ah, uh, okay. I I I, I saw anomaly, so I can't say I had it as I can't say I had it in my top ten or anything though. Yeah. So, um. Yeah. But yeah, no. 2015, just a freaking great year in movies. That was the first. That was my first. That, that was the first year I started doing the movie podcasting, and so like, like my my top five of that year just feel as strong as anything I've seen any in the last seven years, basically. Right. I I just like I, I kept thinking back on that, and I was like, look, I I, I got to give these actresses credit for specifically, I guess Zoe Kazan credit. I think like I think Carrie Mulligan's like maybe in the moment kind of like felt her, her her she felt a little more natural to me but also like like zoe in that performance is being put in some uncomfortable situations that are just not going to feel as natural when you're having to confront people like that it's just it's going to be awkward i guess in a, in, a, in a sense whereas carrie mulligan is getting to like you know she's getting to just be a little more confident behind the scenes giving instruction on how she how jody should be doing her job or whatever um and i but it was just like all, all, just jennifer ely and uh samantha morton just did a great job in those moments and um and, and so they, they would just they you know and i want to uh there's the, the other intern i'm i'm just i just don't not as recognizable of an actress but i want to i want to shout her out too um her name was uh oh rowena chu her name's uh that that was the or at least the the the, the whatever they they named her there but like the actress named angela yale but I just they were all really really good in their moments and i just thought those were very moving scenes that need to be like well done for a movie like this to work and i think they pulled it off and i think uh zoe gets credit for that also um yeah uh joey joey any other parts of this that you wanted to mention i, I should should mention they shot in the new york times building too uh, yeah. for a lot of it i think new york times is obviously going to be kind of a partner in a movie like this it's getting based off of a book and article of theirs and I, I there's always like again as the foreign journalist in me is going to have there's going to be some kind of floor when I get that serotonin rush from like watching reporters just like strut across a newsroom with like important information to like move from one place to another yeah. and it's it's cool getting to see them like you know do it in a in the building like that and uh they, they do have just like some exciting moments like that uh, just generated from them just like you know getting getting to that part of the story they, that that they, they they handle that pretty well amidst all this and um and just and, and just you know make it feel about as tense as you probably would want it to or as exciting as you possibly wanted to could want it to when you know where it's going at the end of the day anyway is what i would oh. say you know right. and i think that's the challenge in something like this especially with something that like as i said at the beginning people are just going to know really well you know oh, yeah. the story i agree love the um, movie yeah um 
All right. Well, I think, you know, I, I think as a, by, by the time people are hearing this one, I'm, I'm, she said it's unfortunately did not do great and financially it came out at an odd time and I just didn't stick in theaters for a long time. But I think people are going to be able to like, you know, at least get it on demand at this point. Yep. So. It's available wherever you choose to watch a film at the moment. There you go. So I think uh, Joey and I both highly would recommend people go do that. Uh, you know, it might pop up, maybe pop up in a couple places at the Oscars, but even if it doesn't, definitely worth your time. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, Joey, before we get out of here, anything else you've been watching recently you want to direct people to? Any last 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 things coming down the pike of awards season or just anything anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? I mean, plug awards right um the website uh, I, I, I was gonna i was gonna ask you to do that at the end too i just managed any, oh yeah, any no, other um, movies you want to tell people about i mean man called auto is better than i think people are expecting so that's one let me see is there anything relatively new that popped up i mean i like i said i like we're, that we're at an odd place in the calendar yeah yeah i i think yeah we're kind of at a, at a place where everything to come is is next year so we're we're gonna see there's nothing we're at a, we're at a kind of like loose point right now so yeah, i would uh i would sit tight for sundance kind of yeah no, only only if only a few weeks till then at this point i'm uh and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of kind of at a similar point myself i think i would you know like as far as like what what i sometimes i just tell people like to go watch the stuff i soon have you know episodes coming out on but it's like i don't necessarily highly recommend a couple of those because like i'm about to do uh, two days later I'm, I'm about to do an episode on both pinocchios that came out this year oh actually you know watch Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. it's really good yeah one's better than the other yeah 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 Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio like just like it, that, that's what I want to do I want to tell people to like watch that it's on Netflix and it sure. changes the story in like really smart ways I went and watched the 1940 Pinocchio because hadn't watched it since I was a kid when I knew I was going to be doing this podcast that was going to focus on the both of the two, 2022 ones that come out and like you know uh the, the, you know what? the if we're doing I that I, th- I, th- I think I think you did that last time you were on but yes yeah, yeah love good. love that movie that movie that movie is better than people realize yeah, I yeah, I know. I, 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 my friend Nick, who does the podcast uh, somewhat regularly, he's a he's a friend of mine from when I worked at Comcast in Philadelphia. So he's a Philadelphia sports guy, and I was like, all right, Nick, come on, man, come come do, come do the Philadelphia basketball movie with me, and because he's yeah. a big basketball fan, and he was just like, eh, I don't know, it's just like okay, well, Adam Sandler, I don't know, and it's like people that just like aren't as like cinephiles don't really get that Adam Sandler can be one of the best actors around when he wants to be, and this was exactly. actually like, and I can understand why some people would just be like this sports movie with like all these cameos is that really adam sandler trying it's like yes it is he's very good you should watch it um but uh but like i i went and watched the um but yeah like i said i, I wouldn't watch the 1940 pinocchio then i watched the zemeckis one which is was basically like the lion king thing all over again where they really didn't change much at all so i was like mm-hmm. kind of tired of the story by the time i got to the del toro one and he just changed he, he was really smart in the way he reworks the story in certain ways and it makes it feel like a, a really like new a new kind of spin on it where you're you're just getting something totally new out of it whether in in a couple different ways that i don't want to spoil because it's, it's interesting. A- it's surprisingly good. I, I was not super looking forward to it, but I was I was uh, I was more into it than I thought I would be. And uh, recommendation wise, this is mostly just a humble brag, but I'll do it. I recommend having dinner with him if you can. He's a lovely guy. <laughs> I saw I, I, I saw I saw you got to do that. That's, that, that's he's, it seems like he is like just a charming dude when he gets out on the award he circuit. sat down and handed me Pinocchio and I was like, sir, I'm going to break this. And he was he, just he, oh, he handed you like a, he handed you like a doll that he had that he they had. had they, a they have the Pinocchio with them, like the the, mar- the you know the stop motion marionettes, and he handed it to me, and he was like making it do like things and give people the finger, and I was like, all right, I'll make it do dirty things, that's fine, <laughs> and he was laughing at that. Everyone else was kind of confused. I was like, this is Gabriel Dutra, like I can do that, like it's gonna be fine. He's telling me about like the video game he was making with Kojima, that never came <laughs> out, and told me some wild things, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this to anyone, but like, sir, you're crazy, and I love it. So like. I, I definitely it was it was great. He yeah, talked yeah. about hating the Weinsteins. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope that or Turning Red wins animated an animated film at the Oscars because those are my those are two two of my favorites this year. Um, yeah, be uh, Joey, where can we uh, where can where can people find your stuff as we head down the stretch of awards season? Uh, social media wise, you can find me at Joey Magidson on your favorite uh, social media run platform. Uh, awards radar is on several of those things and awards radar is where you can find my stuff um i'm in the midst of my yearly awards i did my uh, performances of the year uh, earlier this week um by the time this goes up my top 10 list will be out 
and probably the rest of my like personal awards, you know, for, for directing and, and all that jazz. So it, uh, it's that time. I look forward to reading all that. I, and this, this is the time of year where I, I always get very into Joey's podcast because he has his own podcast. He does every week on awards radar. And it's fun to dive into once you've seen a lot of the movies is like, you can kind of, they, they do a great job of tracking the season as it kind of hits the home stretch and plenty of time to do that. Since like, even though like, I feel like they did a better job of getting the movies out earlier for all the normal folks like us to see this year, just in general. But the, the Oscars are still like what end of March, right? The nominations are coming. I, I, the Golden Globes are next weekend. That's that's how I'm looking at it these days. I'm looking at what the very next thing is. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. No, actually, the Oscars are on March 12th, so not not, not as late yeah. as they were last year. But we still got a few. No, no, have, that, that's the no, Golden Globes are January 10th. That's the right, next right. like thing, even though they mean nothing. Right. And then the Oscar nominations are usually, I think, are still in January. And then we just got another couple months of like, you know, campaigning. And then, you know, yeah, nominations January 24th. They're always right there around my birthday or Sundance or whatever. And then, you yep. know, March 12th, we have the actual ceremony. So, you know, pay it's attention to. Yeah. So pay attention to Joey and Awards Radar. They will give you all the coverage you need as you kind of as you try and like get caught up on all the movies you're watching and want to know who want to know who's really like, you know, projected to do uh, projected to, you know, uh Get, get the hardware. Uh, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Podcast Twitter is at rewindmoviepod. And as long as Twitter is still here, who knows if that'll still be the case by the time you listen to this. Uh, you know, so again, uh, coming up next on the podcast, uh, we'll have, I guess, podcast on those Pinocchios and maybe something on Avatar once our friend our friend Josh gets to see it. Uh, he's, you know, had some health problems that have slowed slowed down his uh, trips to the movies, but well, he, he's gonna he's gonna be making it to that soon. So we got Av- Avatar and Pinocchios, and think a podcast on After Sun once I actually pay the money to see it because I'm gonna have to pay a lot of money to see that online. So I have a lot of stuff, a lot of that coming out. So uh, again, thanks to Joey for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.